So this morning as we go through this, the first thing that we see is that it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. What's the Sea of Tiberias? It's just another name for what we know as the Sea of Galilee. It's had many names over time. Sea of Galilee, which is the modern day uh, name that we have for it, what most people refer to it as. The Sea of Kinneret, which is Hebrew for that same thing. Uh, Lake Gennesaret, uh, that was the plains of Gennesaret. So here's a lake in the middle of the plains. It makes sense to, to call it that. And then we hear the Sea of Tiberias, which is, Tiberias is the largest city on the banks of that sea or that lake. They're all different names for the same body of water, but the most common one used today is the Sea of Galilee. That's what we see it referred to uh, mostly. Now, I can't speak for the people that live in that vicinity. They may call it something else on a you know, regular basis uh, living there, but we know it as the Sea of Galilee. Here it's called the Sea of Tiberias, and it makes sense because of that large city there located on the west side of the sea. Now, Tiberias stands out to me personally, uh, for several reasons. We, we did go there and visit Tiberias when I went to Israel in 2007. Something happened in <laughs> Tiberias for me. You see, when we went to Israel on that trip, our fl flight got delayed out of Denver uh, because of rain showers, and so therefore we missed our connecting flight in Atlanta. So the airline's scrambling, we're scrambling, trying to find you know, other flights to get there. They split our group up and we all went over there. Unfortunately, uh, got over there and my clothes, my luggage, and my guitar didn't make, I didn't care about the clothes, quite honestly. It's like, where's my guitar? So they said, well, you know, the clothes will be arriving soon, your luggage will, and, you know, so three days later, we still didn't have our luggage, you know, and so, uh, <laughs> well, you can just use your own imagination on how things are starting to get uncomfortable, to say the least. But So they decide that day, well, they're supposed to be here today. We don't know for sure, so we're going to run over to the department store, if you will, in Tiberias, so you guys can at least buy some, some uh, shorts and underwear and that sort of thing, you know, what's necessary. And so you go into this store. And most of the sales ladies that are there, they're either speaking Hebrew or Yiddish, and, uh, you know, I don't know what they're saying, but, uh, and then when you go to look at the tags, it doesn't say small, large, medium, those kind of things, so you just happen to grab a whole bunch of shorts and go into the dressing room and just try them on until you find some that fit, you know. So find some shorts that fit, match those up, got a couple pair. Then I'm thinking, okay, got to get some underwear. They're over here in the, uh, the, the one section. And so, again, I don't know what the tag says. Obviously, I can't rip these open and try them on uh, for lots of reasons. But <laughs> uh, so I walk over to the lady, you know, who's been helping other people. And I, I grab the shorts and I have the label shown and I go. <laughs> and then I point toward the underwear, you know. And she says, just speak. <laughs> I, 
I have a feeling they're still talking about me to this day. <laughs> so Tiberius will be something that I always remember. Shopping at the Tiberius Walmart or whatever it was, getting help buying underwear. So anyway, Tiberius. Uh, it says in verse 1 that Jesus showed himself or appeared to the disciples again. Now, we know since his resurrection, we have documented for us, not just in John's gospel, but in the four gospels, there was an appearance to Mary at the tomb, which we studied, uh, his first appearance to the disciples behind locked doors. There was the appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We talked about that last week. Somewhere in there, there's a verse uh, that even indicates that he appeared to Peter. Uh, we don't have that in the book of John, but we have that account in the book of Matthew. And then there's the second appearance with all of the disciples. Thomas was there, as we studied that last week. And now in our text today, we see that Jesus is going to appear to them at the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were there together. So it's great that John has given us this information to tell us which disciples were there. We have Peter, Thomas, obviously without his twin. We talked about the whole twin thing last week. I have no idea who his twin was, but uh, we can assume without his twin. Nathaniel, James and John, and two other disciples whose names are not mentioned. You know, you wonder why, why are they not mentioned by name? Uh, Remember last week when we were talking about, here's Thomas's twin, don't have a name, don't have any idea who he was, but yet because of Thomas and who he is, we could, for application, insert our name into the place of that twin, and that sometimes we doubt, don't we? We could see ourselves taking on some of those characteristics of Thomas, and this could be true as well of these two disciples, because we, we could be very much like these disciples as we relate to them and that their names are not mentioned but you could say uh, Jim is there or Dave is there or whoever you know you might insert your own name into that as trying to gain or glean more application in your own life in this particular story we don't know who they were bottom line but uh, why were they at the Sea of Tiberias in Galilee why did they go there a lot of people will at first glance just think well they wanted to go fishing, and that's where they normally went fishing, so they went there for that purpose. But if you compare the other gospel accounts, you see actually why. So hold your place in John. We're going to look at a couple passages this morning. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Starting at verse 30. This is right after uh, the time that they had spent uh, in the upper room, the Last Supper. They've moved from there. They're headed for the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, verse 30 says in uh, chapter 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's one of the questions that's on my list when I get to heaven. You know, I see something like that, and it's like, well, okay, what hymn was it? <laughs> Fanny Crosby wasn't even born yet. 
So they couldn't have had a whole lot of hymns to choose from, you know. Verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is telling them, after I'm resurrected, I'm going to go before you, or I'm, I'm going to go to Galilee. I'm going before you, which would indicate what? I, I want you guys to go too, but I'm going to get there first is basically what it's saying. So flip on over to Matthew 28. Be to your right a few pages. Matthew 28. And the angel is communicating at the tomb uh, what has happened, that the Lord has been resurrected. And chapter 28, verse 7, the angels instruct him to go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Jesus is going to Galilee. The angels tell him, you go to Galilee, and you're going to see Jesus there. Flip over to Mark chapter 16. You can see we're working our way back to John. Mark chapter 16. Sixteen verse seven. I'm in Luke. That's not gonna work. <laughs> I started reading that and it was like, goodness, that doesn't sound right at all. So Mark chapter sixteen, verse seven. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he, Jesus, is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So I find it interesting as we read that, that it's obvious Jesus is going to be in Galilee. The disciples are supposed to go to Galilee and see him there. However, when we looked at our text last week, we know that Jesus had come and shown himself to the disciples but not to Thomas yet. Thomas came back. He didn't believe what they were saying. He doubted it. And then it said, after eight days. So you kind of wonder, why did the disciples wait eight days before they went to Galilee? The answer? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know why they waited eight days. Because you would think, hey, he did say something about going to Galilee. We should go to Galilee. Well, evidently, they didn't come to that conclusion till the ninth day or something. But then they decided to go to Galilee. Jesus wanted them to go there to see him. They desired to see him again. And so they went there where he had told them to go and where the angels had instructed them to go. We can relate to that in application. Has Jesus ever told you to go to a place and gave to you a peace that he would go before you? How many of you here have ever moved? Pretty much everybody, right? If you're one of those people that has lived in this very same place your whole life, you're very fortunate, but you've missed a lot of adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Moving is so much fun. <laughs> it's just a hoot. I mean, to pack up all your junk that you've collected for years and move. Chris and I are in the middle of that right now, you know? And so... Moving is something else, but we typically, as Christians, hopefully, we pray about those kind of things in that we feel like God is leading us to a new place and we spend time in prayer, but we can always be sure of this one very thing. It doesn't matter where it is that we're going, 
Jesus will go before us, won't he? Period. Whether it's his will for us to go there or not, he's still going before us. And that should give us some level of peace that, hey, wherever we go, Jesus is going to be there. That's just a cool thing to think about. You know, Chris and I are going to be leaving this afternoon for a couple weeks to go back to the Midwest to see our grandson, one-year-old. Yes. So when we get back there, or we can be driving across Nebraska or Kansas, whichever direction we decide to go, and we can be assured Jesus is going before us, which might sound strange. Jesus goes to Kansas too, you know. I don't know what for, but he does go to Kansas. <laughs> he's, he's everywhere. We know that. So Jesus is saying to us in that, go to this place and I will be there before you. It's my will that you go to this place, or even if it's not my will you go to this place, I am going before you. I am I'm leading you there. It's an amazing application for us. Knowing, having a trust in, believing in, relying upon, having a peace, Jesus is going before us, which indicates what? If he's going before, then that means we would be following. Makes sense. We should be doing that. He has a place where he wants us to be, and we should be following his lead. Having that peace about going to a place that we haven't gone before, not necessarily geographically all the time, right? Jesus leading us, going before us to a place we haven't been before. Uh, as you guys know, a year and a half ago, well, a little two years ago now, I guess, God put it on my heart to come to Berthoud and plant a church. Now, I'd been to Berthoud before. It wasn't like I hadn't been here before, but going to a new place, a strange place, a different place to start a ministry, having no idea how it was going to work out. But the piece that I did have was this. Jesus is going before me. Jesus is, is there. He is laying the foundation, if you will, for whatever work it is that he wants to do here. So we don't always know the reasons we're going or for going, maybe sometimes until after we get there. Now that's a tough one, isn't it? Go to this place, you know, hang out for a while, whatever. Uh, I will go before you, I'll meet you there. We get there and we just, it's just, just like, I don't, I don't know whether Jesus is here or not. It just seems to be, I don't have clear indication that he is here. Well, we know that uh, we're on two different uh, time elements here, aren't we? He's in one time, we're in another. He knows what the future holds, we don't. So we just need to stay faithful and obedient to that last thing that he's told us to do. But we can have a peace about it if we really know that the Lord has led us there. But it doesn't always have to be this big move, this big thing. It can be, where does the Lord want us to be today? This very day after we leave church, where does, where does he want us to be? Where does he want us to go? What does he want us to do? We can only know that by submitting to his leading us, right? That's the quickest way to find out. Just submit to him and he'll show us, right? We can talk to him about it. We can pray about it. We'll listen to what he has to say about it. To act on where he tells us to go and also what he tells us to do. So for these disciples, he tells them to go to Galilee. 
they obviously go. We know that by the text. And there they wait. And they wait. And they wait. How long? We don't know. But, you know, <laughs> you think about it. If, you, if I was Jesus, which I know we're all glad I'm not, but if I was Jesus, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you could very easily be like, well, <laughs> I'd wait eight days for you guys. You can just wait for me for a while, you know. That would be a natural thing that we would think. So how long did they wait? We have no idea, but they were there for a while because I think where they went with the expectancy of seeing Jesus, and after some length of time, they didn't see Jesus. And Peter says what? Well, I'm going fishing. You know, <laughs> I'm going fishing. Basically, to me, the equivalent of saying, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going fishing. Verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. Then they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Peter, I'm, I'm tired of sitting around waiting. I'm going fishing. It seems perfectly natural. I got some spare time. I'm going fishing. If you're one of those people that, that get off on fishing. I used to fish quite a bit. Me and my father-in-law back in Illinois. We, we fished a lot. And if you ever get a chance to meet him, he's got some really interesting stories <laughs> of our fishing escapades. Uh, one that comes to mind was uh, we fished off the bank most of the time because he didn't like the whole idea of boats. And so a lot of times it was at night. We were fishing for catfish. So there was these little clamp-on bells that you could put right on the end of your rod so that if catfish starts biting and it's dark, ding, 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 they work great. But I found that you have to remember to take them off before you cast. But it is a kind of a neat sound, you know, pitch black, and you hear this, zing, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I don't know how many of those things I lost, a bunch. <laughs> but just forgetting, <laughs> cast them out there. So... Somewhere between that and where I am now, I decided to take up golf instead. I still get to combine both, fishing for golf balls <laughs> in the lake. But for you, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's hiking, maybe it's biking. Something that you enjoy doing, garage sales, antiquing, stamping. You fill in the blank, whatever that is, your hobbies, things that you enjoy doing. If you're in a period of waiting, a lot of times it's very natural for us to move to those things that we enjoy doing. Reading. Maybe that's something that you enjoy doing. And so, you know, we can cut these guys some slack in some ways. They're sitting around waiting. There's a boat right over there. There's the lake that they had fished on their whole lives, commercially, uh, most of the time, obviously, but I'm sure that there were times when they did it just for recreation as well. It was a perfectly natural thing, it seems like, just to say, hey, let's go fishing. So what, was it wrong for them to do that? No, except for the fact that what did Jesus say? I will go before you into Galilee. You know, there you're going you're gonna to see me there. Jesus didn't say, and hey, while you're waiting, hey, get a little fishing in. You know, go for it. See if you can catch something. Let's go back to what we did before without Jesus. Let's go back to that. It's a natural thing for us to fall into, isn't it? Those things that we used to do before we became believers. 
and it would be a fairly natural thing, unnatural <laughs> outside of the Lord, but to, to fall back on those very things. Uh, how many of when you, when you first got saved, you still went to the same places to hang out? You don't have to answer that. I, I know some of you probably did. I did as well. But that's not necessarily where we're going to find Jesus. Not that Jesus can't find us there, obviously, but he has something better for us. So they say, let's go fishing. Uh, basically, moving on without Jesus, right? That's somewhat of the mentality. Let's go ahead and just go back to, to fishing, see what happens. Moving forward in something without the Lord's leading and then also expecting him to provide and show up. Ever been there? Go ahead, raise your hand. I'm raising mine. <laughs> We've been there. So they go fishing. Did they catch anything? Scripture is pretty clear. They caught nothing. All night, fishing, caught nothing. Who are we talking about? Professional fishermen. <laughs> this was their livelihood. They caught nothing. Nothing in the Greek means nothing. No thing. <laughs> I can relate to that. My fishing escapades typically resulted in the same thing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. If you're called to do something by the Lord and you rely on his guidance and direction, there will be fruit because it's his work you are doing. So they went out on their own. By proclaiming, we know where to go. We've done this for years. We know what we're doing. We can do this. Are any of those ringing out right now in your mind? We know where to go. I've done this for years. I know what I'm doing. I can do this. Let's catch some fish. And yet nothing, nada, no thing, empty, empty. Empty is an astrobleem. You guys are going, what's an astrobleem? Well, it's a, an eroded remnant of a large ancient crater made by the impact of a meteor or a comet. It's just a big, empty nothing in the ground, a hole, as we would know it. An astrobleem. Write that down if you want to. <laughs> you can use that in everyday vernacular, you know. Astrobleem. I ordered a bowl of soup. They bring it to me. Astrobleem. There's nothing in there. It's an empty bowl, you know. You're probably thinking, Pastor Jim, where are you going with this? I have no idea. But you might. <laughs> so they went fishing all night and caught what? Nothing. Nothing. You probably remember, fished all night and caught no fishes. How many of you remember that? Sunday school song, fished all night and caught no fishes. Such a great melodic line that you have to repeat it three times. Fished all night, caught no fishes. Where? Out on the deep blue sea. You guys don't know this song? It's a classic. It's a fishing song. <laughs> But this should remind them of something. This whole 
going out, fishing all night, and catching nothing. It should remind them of something. Luke chapter 5. Flip over there real quick. This has happened before. In Luke chapter 5. Start at verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now keep in mind, the fishermen were doing what? Cleaning their nets because they had already been fishing at that point. Verse 5, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Spoken like a true fisherman there, right? <laughs> Any of us could say that, right? It's not just fishermen. Depart from me, I am a, a sinful golfer, or whatever it is, you know. So, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So they forsook all and followed him, but here we are about three years later, back on the same lake, probably the same boat, at night, fishing again, and catching nothing, no thing. Has the Lord ever taught you something previously, and you've forgotten about it presently? <laughs> yeah, yeah, been there, done that. We're the Lord had shown me something or presented something to me, and I learned from that. Yet, even though previously I had experienced that, presently I forgot what it was he had shown me back then. It's happened to all of us. Even when he has given us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to remind us of all the things that he said to us, it's not just about forgetting. We like to use that excuse, oh, I, I forgot that lesson the Lord taught me. Sometimes it's ignoring or just not listening, isn't it? When we grieve the Holy Spirit, He's prodding us, He's encouraging us to not do this or not do that or do this or do that. And we ignore that. We don't pay any attention to it for whatever reason. Now these guys, they're tired of waiting, so they're going to do what they want. And how does that work out for us when we do that so often? We come up empty, don't we? <laughs> Nothing, no thing of value. Now I believe that this whole thing was a setup by Jesus. 
you're thinking, wow, that's, that's deep, Pastor Jim. <laughs> it's always a setup by Jesus, right? <laughs> and everything going on. Go to this place because I have something to teach you. You won't be able to see or understand what is I am teaching you until I reveal it to you. What did he say to him back the first time this happened? I'm going to teach you to be what? Fishers of men. Verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They fished all night. Now it's morning. They're headed in. They're tired, defeated, disappointed, maybe hungry. They've come up empty, nothing, caught nothing. And then they see someone at a distance standing on the shore. They don't recognize who it is. Shouldn't surprise us, as we've seen in our tech, it's, it's, already, it's already happened several times before, right? Mary didn't recognize him. The disciples, the guys on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him initially. So that's not all that odd. The text doesn't say that it was still dark or that they were too far away to recognize him. We don't have any indication of that. It just says they didn't know it was Jesus. So we can assume that the same thing that had happened with the others before that he had come into contact with that didn't recognize him. The same thing's going on here. But the voice on the shore yells out to them, verse 5, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. Children. In this case, it's not so much what Jesus does call them, children, it's what he doesn't call them. He said, Go to Galilee. And they waited. And they got tired of waiting. They were going fishing. He didn't tell them to go fishing. Jesus could have yelled out, backsliders, rebels, ex-apostles, former disciples, poor fishermen. <laughs> no, what's he call them? He calls them children. Do you have any food? Obviously talking about fish. Do you have any fish? Did you catch anything? Would be the equivalent, right? No. How do you suppose that was said? In what tone do you think they answered that? No. You know, aggravated that he'd even ask. Or no, embarrassed, you know, that he asked. No, just disappointed in the results that he asked. We don't know the truth for sure, but they did tell the truth, didn't they? Which kind of goes against the whole fisherman thing in some ways, this whole truth-telling and fishing. It's kind of a new concept, if you think about it. <laughs> Honest fishermen tell the truth. They do. Because there's always the lack of proof, right? If you caught a fish, well, show me a picture or show me the fish for proof. If you caught no fish, there is no picture or fish to show. Do you have any fish? Just this a simple yes or no question, isn't it? So they answered no. For, for a pastor, the equivalent might be, did you have any, you know, somebody standing across the street corner after the service, 1030, did you have any people at your service this morning? Yes. How many? Tens of people. <laughs> it's an honest answer, right? But he says, do you have any fish? Yes. But we decided to leave them in the water. 
Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now there's several guys in this boat, depending upon how they would normally react to a certain suggestion, would also determine what type of person they are, you know. If you're an optimist, yeah, okay, yeah, right, good idea. I'll try that. Actually, I will try that. As an optimist, I'm going I'm to give that a shot. Pessimist, <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's going to make any difference. It's just like a few feet away from where we had our net before. How's that, this guy, you know, towards the other side of the boat. Now, if you're just clueless, we know people like that, right? They're all on the right side of the boat. You're right or my right? <laughs> the right side of the boat. The other side of the boat. The opposite of the wrong side of the boat. Throw your net there is basically what he's saying. So they did, not knowing who it was that even suggested it. And for some reason, they did it anyway. Now think about that. The guy standing on the shore, he might not have been, even been a fisherman. We have no idea what they were thinking. We can ask them when we get to heaven. But for some reason, they did it. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Miracle, isn't it? Without a doubt. How is that school of fish just on that side of the boat and not on the other? It was a once again, by Jesus. So guided by Jesus, they were able to catch the very thing that they had been working for all night long. For us, it's a clear picture of what can be accomplished in Jesus versus trying to do it on our own, right? Trusting in him, being guided by him to do the things that he's leading us to do rather than trying to do it on our own. Unfortunately, we try that a lot, don't we? You know, our education or our experience or our just life as we've uh, matured over time, we, we start to get a feeling like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I know what I'm supposed to do in this situation or that situation. And when it comes right down to it, we're trying to do it on our own rather than being led by the Lord in doing it. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, able to do exceedingly abundantly above. That should be encouraging to us, not just... Jesus does a little bit more than what I'm thinking. It says he can do. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. When we get into the book of Acts and we start looking at the way that he's using the apostles there, Peter preaches to the multitudes. Uh, and I suppose it depends on your definition of multitudes. This is a multitude. It's a small multitude. It's not a large multitude. But Peter, did he have any idea that 5,000 were going to get saved? 
I don't think he had any idea at all. I think probably Peter would have been blessed beyond belief if one got saved, as we all should be that way. But 5,000 get saved exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And it says, according to the power that works in us. What power? The power of his Holy Spirit, the helper, being obedient to the leading of his Holy Spirit in us as he directs, as he guides and provides for us. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit in us, guides us to do something, sometimes something that makes no sense. It doesn't sound logical to us, totally out of our comfort zone. But we should trust in what he tells us to do, believing that what he guides us to do, believing that which he guides us to say is exactly what needs to be said or done. Remember, just days before this, they're behind locked doors, and Jesus breathed on these very men, and he said to them what? Receive the Holy Spirit. So here they are. Now he has instructed them on how to catch fish when it appears that there's no fish to be caught. And it's not just a small catch, is it? A catch that was immeasurably more than they could ask or think. It was the plan of the Lord, the will of the Lord. It's an object lesson for the disciples to remember what he had said to them earlier on in his ministry. Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Again, we're going to see this come to pass as we move on into the study in the book of Acts, that now they truly are becoming fishers of men. and They've been given an object lesson to show them, hey, under my influence, my guidance, my power, my direction, you can catch a lot of fish, a lot of men. It's a fascinating dichotomy, if you will. Fishermen catch live fish, which become dead. When Jesus commissions fishermen, they catch dead fish, those dead in sin, and they become alive in Christ. Fishermen catch live fish and they become dead, but Jesus' fishermen catch dead fish, dead in sin, and they become alive in him. Verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? John, come on, John, <laughs> just call yourself John. We've been through this. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved. We've talked about that before. Why don't we use that type of, I'm a disciple whom Jesus loves. I could say that. Well, you know, that disciple whom Jesus loves down on the corner there, 357 Mountain Avenue, you know, we could use that. But it does sound a little strange, even as I say it now. But the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Sometimes, just like John in this scene, it takes a miracle of Jesus working in our lives before we see that it's him, that he's there. It takes that sometimes. I picture Jesus at times getting ready to do that thing, that miracle, whatever it is. You know, Michael, come over here. <laughs> Check this out. I'm going to do this thing. And they're going to, oh, it's Jesus. You know, it's going to be so cool. You got to watch this. 
We're just like John in that scene, aren't we? Sometimes it takes a miracle of God to get our attention, to go, oh, that was Jesus. When we're overwhelmed by our circumstances, when we're having doubts, we're anxious about things, not sure how things are going to turn out, and Jesus shows up, or so we believe, he's been there all along, but we just, oh, now you're showing up, you know? He's been there the whole time. So John recognizes that the man on the beach is Jesus. He provided the miraculous catch of fish. It's the Lord. He said he would meet us in Galilee, and he's here. Imagine that. Well, Peter's obviously very excited, so, so much so that he swims to shore in his clothes. You think about what the text says there. He put his clothes back on before he jumped into the water. Whatever. <laughs> At least he had clothes. My visit. <laughs> He's anxious to see Jesus again and talk to him. Verse 8. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So at this point, the, the, the 200 cubits, it's about 100 yards away, the length of a football field. The disciples came in the boat dragging the net with the fish. They get to land and find that Jesus already has fish on the grill and bread. It's Jesus. That shouldn't surprise them, right? He fed 5,000, just a few fish and loaves. But the Lord instructs them to bring some of the fish that they had caught. And in verse 6, we saw that these disciples collectively were not able to draw in the net because of the number of fish. Yet in verse 11, we see Peter single-handedly drags the net to land. That's quite the feat. I, I, I think Peter was probably a big guy. Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just sure of that. I could be wrong. <laughs> when we get to heaven and he walks up, hey, <laughs> you know, a little bitty guy. Peter, I thought you, never mind. So, <laughs> so all these other disciples collectively, they're not able to draw in the net full of fish, but we see Peter single-handedly does it. How was he able to do this? That in itself is a miracle, isn't it? A command of the Lord was given. Bring some of the fish you caught. Write this down. The Lord's commandments are the Lord's enablements. The Lord's commandments are the Lord's enablements. That is that the Lord does not command us to do something that he doesn't also enable us to do. If we're trusting in him, if we're relying upon him, we're able to complete it because he's the one that commanded it and he's also the one that enables us to, to do it. So the very word that the Lord speaks to us is the very source of power to do what he asks. The very word, the very command that he gives is also the enabling done. If the Lord commands you or I to do something, he will also provide what is necessary to accomplish it. We just need to trust in him. 
So you think about all the things that the Lord may have told you or I to do. What do we trust in? The power that's within us, right? His Holy Spirit living in us, trusting in that power to accomplish it. And when we try to do it on our own, nothing. We come up empty. But doing it within His power, the power is there already to accomplish the very thing that He asks us to do. When we're tempted, and we're tempted, all of us, different ways on a regular basis when we are tempted scripture says that when you are tempted he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it he's going to provide a way out what's the way out turning to him and relying upon his power to get us out the quicker we do that the less painful it is at least that's what i've found by turning to the Lord and relying upon Him to do the very thing that He's commanded us to do. It's a pretty simple process, really. I don't know why we have such a tough time with that one, in that God says, do this. Oh, well, how should I do that? Or should I do it at all? We go through those things in our minds when it's like, just like I told you to do it. I've already given you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the power behind what I say to actually get it accomplished. Hey, why don't you just rely on that? You'd think the Lord would just get thoroughly frustrated with us, wouldn't you? <laughs> but he doesn't. He loves us. And he teaches us through those things. Throw your nets over the right side of the boat. <laughs> I mean... We see that text, and we know that it applies to a fish story here that we've looked at this morning. We know that, but where are you in your boat, and what is it that he wants you to do, and where does he want you to do it? He's telling you, we just need to listen and respond in obedience, trusting in his power to get it done. We're going to see as we move into the book of Acts Sounds like I'm doing a whole lot of commercials for the book of Acts. I am doing a lot of commercials for the book of Acts. Coming up in June. <laughs> Be there. The book of Acts. We're going to see time and time again the many acts of the apostles. That's what it's called that for. Under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And all the things that they accomplish. These men, mere fishermen. Mere you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you do, what is your uh, profession, your career, your, your job, whatever that is, you can put mirror in front of that, but know that when you're working for the Lord, mirror goes away, and it's exceedingly abundantly more, isn't it? Because of his power. In the book of Acts, we're going to see that they just do miraculous things. So Jesus is only going to be with them in person for a very short time. So now he spends some time in fellowship with them, talking with them. You see him sitting around a campfire there on the beach with grilled fish and bread. And man, it just sounds good, doesn't it? You know, it's like quarter after 10, grilled fish, fish and bread, lots of butter, some sweet tea. Are you thinking about lunch at all? <laughs> but imagine sitting around with Jesus, just talking with Jesus. 
You know, I think the, there was some talking over old times, <laughs> although it's only been three years, but yet a lot's happened. And they're talking about those things. They have the Holy Spirit now, right? So they're going to have understanding more so now than they did before. So the things that Jesus is sharing with them, it starts to come together for them, doesn't it? It starts to make sense. We saw that verse that we've referred to many times in the book of John. I'm going to send you a helper, and he will bring to your remembrance things that I said and did. That's, I believe that's happening right now around the campfire. I don't know if they sang Kumbaya or just that hymn, whatever it was, you know, coming from the garden. But they're sitting around this campfire in intimate fellowship with one another with the Lord. And I think he has something for us in that as well as we look at that. We have that same opportunity, don't we? Maybe Jesus is not physically sitting with us, but through the power of his Holy Spirit, he's right beside us, and we can spend that intimate time of fellowship with him, just like we are here this morning, studying his word together, knowing that he's going to bring to remembrance all the things he said and taught to us, right? As you go through your week, how many of you listen to Grace FM on the radio? So you listen to Grace FM. How many of you have had one of those days where it's like, Every pastor's teaching about the same thing. The same verse comes up over and over again. What is up with that? What is up with that? It's obviously something that he wants us to hear, isn't it? Time and time again it happens. It's a blessing, but it's just like, man, <laughs> do you have to just keep telling me and telling me? And he says, yes, I do. <laughs> Have you got it yet? And then, no, I still need to tell you. So verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I, I picture for the disciples and all the times that they spent with Jesus, this group of guys on this particular morning sitting around this particular campfire on that beach next to the sea, net full of fish over there. And I bet they talk about that today in heaven. You remember that time we were sitting on the beach with Jesus? He already had the fish cooked. The bread was there. It was awesome. <laughs> Think about that. Each one of us should have a testimony of the same thing, of that intimate time we got to spend with Jesus, right? A time we look back on and go, man, man, that one time the Lord was there, and he brought me through this or that thing. Or he just encouraged me in what I was going through right there at that time. Or through his word, he gave me a verse. Man, that, that verse has been like a life verse to me ever since. Whatever it is, that intimate time with Jesus, we need to be there. We need to understand that, just like the disciples, we mess up and do things that he really didn't intend for us to do, but yet we have the verse to look back to that says, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, right? They fished all night and caught no fishes. Then the morning came. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Quit doing the wrong thing and do the right thing under my guidance and my direction. Man, watch me work you're going to see miraculous things take place. Amen? Amen.